0: Hello, everyone. It's August 25th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. It's so good to have you with us. My name is David McAdam, and it's my joy to be reading the scriptures with you and serving as your tour guide, highlighting the observations worth remembering as we take in the vast landscape of the Bible's 66 books Each day we read the next portions from the Old and New Testaments and progressively make our way through the book of Psalms and Proverbs as well. We are actually on our second trip through the book of Psalms and discovering afresh how they echo the heart cries heard so often from God's people in the rough and tumble of human experience. The good news is that God hears us when we cry, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. In hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 therefore we are told to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need and don't we need his mercy our god knows and understands the human experience we have been reading through the book of job and are in the second section the dialogue section that takes place between job and his three friends eliphaz bildad and zophar Job's friends are trying to help Job make sense of his sufferings. Sadly, their words are doing more harm than good. Their presumed knowledge of God and misapplication of truths they know about him obscure rather than clarify what is truly happening in Job's situation. They set the standard for those who think they are offering helpful counsel but actually worsening the situation. That is why those who attempt in vain to assist a person suffering distressful and perplexing circumstances are often called Job's comforters. Well, in our reading yesterday, Eliphaz has just accused Job of being a godless hypocrite. Let's hear how Job answers as he takes the stage now in chapter 16. So let's get started. Job replies, Miserable comforters are you. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do, if you were in my place. I could join words together against you, and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips would assuage your pain. If I speak, my pain is not assuaged, and if I forbear, how much of it leaves me? Surely now God has worn me out, He has made desolate all my company, and He has shriveled me up, which is a witness against me, and my leanness has risen up against me it testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his eyes against me. Men have gaped at me with their mouth. They have struck me insolently on the cheek. They mass themselves together against me. God gives me up to the ungodly and casts me into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces." HE SET ME UP AS HIS TARGET, HIS ARCHERS SURROUND ME, HE SLASHES OPEN MY KIDNEYS AND DOES NOT SPARE, HE POURS OUT MY GALL ON THE GROUND, HE BREAKS ME WITH BREACH UPON BREACH, HE RUNS UPON ME LIKE A WARRIOR, I HAVE SEWED SACKCLOTH UPON MY SKIN AND HAVE LAID MY STRENGTH IN THE DUST, MY FACE IS RED WITH WEEPING AND ON MY eyelids IS DEEP DARKNESS, ALTHOUGH THERE IS NO VIOLENCE IN MY HANDS AND MY PRAYER IS PURE. O earth, cover not my blood, and let my cry find no resting place. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. My friends scorn me, my eyes pour out tears to God, that he would argue the case of a man with God, as a son of man does with his neighbor. For when a few years have come, I shall go the way from which I shall not return. Job continues, where then is my hope chapter seventeen my spirit is broken my days are extinct the graveyard is ready for me surely there are mockers about me and my eye dwells on their provocation lay down a pledge for me with you who is there who will put up security for me since you have closed their hearts to understanding therefore you will not let them triumph he who informs against his friends to get a share of their property the eyes of his children will fail he has made me a byword to the peoples and i am one before whom men spit my eye has grown dim from vexation and all my members are like a shadow the upright are appalled at this and the innocent stirs himself up against the godless yet the righteous holds to his way and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger but you come on again all of you and I shall not find a wise man among you. My days are past, my plans are broken off, the desires of my heart. They make night into day. The light, they say, is near to the darkness. If I hope for Sheol is my house, if I make my bed in darkness, if I say to the pit, You are my father, and to the worm, my mother, or my sister, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? Bildad speaks, God punishes the wicked. Job chapter 18. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? Consider, and then we will speak. Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in your anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Indeed, THE LIGHT OF THE WICKED IS PUT OUT, AND THE FLAME OF HIS FIRE DOES NOT SHINE. THE LIGHT IS DARK IN HIS TENT, AND HIS LAMP ABOVE HIM IS PUT OUT. HIS STRONG STEPS ARE SHORTENED, AND HIS OWN SCHEMES THROW HIM OUT, FOR HE IS CAST INTO A NET BY HIS OWN FEET, AND HE WALKS ON ITS MESH. A TRAP SEIZES HIM BY THE HEEL, A SNARE LAYS HOLD OF HIM. A ROPE IS HIDDEN FOR HIM IN THE GROUND, A TRAP FOR HIM IN THE PATH. TERRORS FRIGHTEN HIM ON EVERY SIDE, AND CHASE HIM AT HIS HEELS. HIS STRENGTH IS FAMISHED, AND CALAMITY IS READY FOR HIS STUMBLING. IT CONSUMES THE PARTS OF HIS SKIN. THE FIRSTBORN OF DEATH CONSUMES HIS LIMBS. HE IS TORN FROM THE TENT IN WHICH HE TRUSTED, AND IS BROUGHT TO THE KING OF TERRORS. IN HIS TENT DWELLS THAT WHICH IS NONE OF HIS. SULFUR IS SCATTERED OVER HIS HABITATION. HIS ROOTS DRY UP BENEATH, AND HIS BRANCHES WITHER ABOVE. HIS MEMORY PERISHES FROM THE EARTH, AND HE HAS NO NAME IN THE STREET. He is thrust from light into darkness, and driven out of the world. He has no posterity or progeny among his people, and no survivor where he used to live. They of the west are appalled at his day, and horror seizes them of the east. Surely such are the dwellings of the unrighteous. Such is the place of him who knows not God. Chapter 19 Job replies, My Redeemer lives. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me, are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me, and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out, Violence! But I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and He has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone, and my hope He has pulled up like a tree. He has kindled His wrath against me and counts me as His adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege-ramp against me and encamp around my tent." He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me, my close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother." EVEN YOUNG CHILDREN DESPISE ME, WHEN I RISE THEY TALK AGAINST ME, ALL MY INTIMATE FRIENDS ABHOR ME, AND THOSE WHOM I LOVED HAVE TURNED AGAINST ME, MY BONES STICK TO MY SKIN AND TO MY FLESH, AND I HAVE ESCAPED BY THE SKIN OF MY TEETH, HAVE MERCY ON ME, HAVE MERCY ON ME, O YOU MY FRIENDS, FOR THE HAND OF GOD HAS TOUCHED ME, WHY DO YOU, LIKE GOD, PURSUE ME, WHY ARE YOU NOT SATISFIED WITH MY FLESH? O oh, that my words were written! O oh, that they were inscribed in a book! O oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock for ever! For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eye shall behold, and not another." My heart faints within me. If you say, How we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings a punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment." And this concludes our reading of today's portion from the Old Testament, from the book of Job. As we learned yesterday, round two of the debate between Job and his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, has begun. Job's friends were more helpful when they were silent in shock and sympathy and sat by him for seven days and nights. Now that they have launched forth their accusations, they act more like judges than friends. Job refers to them as miserable comforters. In Job 16, verse 2, Eliphaz is the false comforter who argues from experience. He projects his own home movies on Job's life screen. In his speeches, he repeats the phrase, I have seen. In Job chapter 4 verse 8, chapter 5 verse 3, chapter 15 verse 17. He makes 3 speeches in the book. He ends his second speech accusing Job of being a godless hypocrite in chapter 15 verse 34. Bildad is the false comforter who falls back on tradition. In Job chapter 8 verse 8, he says, "Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers." He sides with the ancient belief that suffering is always the result of sin, whether overt or hidden. He also accuses Job of being a hypocrite. In Job chapter 8, verse 13, Zophar is the false comforter who is the legalist. He not only calls Job a hypocrite, in Job chapter 20, verse 5, but a man who is full of empty talk. He is harsh and dogmatic. These friends could not imagine that suffering could be anything but retributive. They illustrate that apart from God-given revelation and the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, we cannot properly understand ourselves or the purpose of our lives in the context of God's plan. Nor can we naturally perceive the wisdom of God's ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In Isaiah fifty-five verses 8 and 9. Job does not declare himself innocent of sin before God, but he does declare that he is innocent of the charges of his friends who have projected a false narrative upon his sufferings. In contrast to the behavior and speeches of his friends who argue from their natural minds and what they have gleaned from experience, tradition, and legalistic interpretations, Job said that if he were standing in their shoes, he would want to minister encouragement and comfort with the knowledge of God's grace. I, too, could speak like you, if I were in your place. I could compose words against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth, and the solace of my lips could lessen your pain. Job chapter sixteen, verse four and five. Job is getting tired of defending himself. He confesses his fatigue in the trial. In Job chapter 16, verse 7, he makes his complaint. But now he has exhausted me. You have laid waste all my company. He is losing hope. In Job chapter 17, verses 13 through 16, he fails to see that God is chastening the son that he loves. He falsely perceives that God is against him. His anger has torn me and hunted me down. He has gnashed at me with his teeth. My adversary glares at me. Job chapter 16 verse 9. We see a foreshadowing of the sufferings of Christ reflected in Job's words in verses 10 and 11. They have gaped at me with their mouth; they have slapped me on the cheek with contempt. They have massed themselves against me. God hands me over to ruffians and tosses me into the hands of the wicked. In Job chapter 16 verses 10 and 11. Also chapter 17 verses 6 through 8 as we recognize a foreshadowing of christ suffering the wrath of god and the wrath of man on our behalf in the sufferings of job we also see the great need we all have for a mediator oh that a man might plead with god as a man with his neighbor job chapter 16 verse 21 we saw this longing for a mediator previously in job chapter 9 verse 32 for he is not a man as i am that i may answer him that we may go to court together There is no umpire, mediator, middleman, between us, who may lay his hand upon us both. Job chapter 9, verses 32 through 33. Job was saying, O God, you are holy. I am not. I cannot argue with you. If you bring me to court, I cannot answer one of a thousand questions. I need someone to provide an answer on my behalf. Jesus is that mediator. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one Mediator, also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Because Jesus is fully God and fully man, through Him God builds a bridge between Himself and man. God builds that bridge through the rough timbers of the cross. Matthew 20, verse 28 Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many, God has made him to be for us our answer. He has become for us our wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification. In 1 Corinthians chapter one verse thirty, he answers Job's big question: But how can a man be in the right before God? In Job chapter nine verse two, lay down now a pledge for me with yourself. Who is there that will be my guarantor? In Job chapter seven verse three. Bildad speaks again in chapter 18. He seems to discount all that Job has said. The traditionalist is not always a good listener. He seeks to apply his knowledge from the past. Once again, Bildad assigns Job a standing with the wicked and predicts that Job's future is to be one of furthered deserved calamity. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. Job chapter 18 verse 21. Job replies to Bildad in chapter 19. He contrasts the unrelenting accusations and condescending pity to show how his own confidence is in the Redeemer. Pity me, pity me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh that my words were written, Oh that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they would be engraved in the rock forever. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. Job chapter 19 verse 21 through 27. Job declares his faith in God's provision of full vindication through what he has yet to discover of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Job patiently waits for God's answer in Christ. He knows that this life is not all that there is and that in his resurrection body, he will see his Redeemer face to face. Now let's move on to the New Testament reading for today as we finish up with the final chapter in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 16, beginning with verse 1, and we read through to the end in verse 24. they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go, for I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus, and Fortunatus, and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence." for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And this concludes today's portion from the New Testament, and it concludes Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Now we will take a few moments to highlight some observations. Paul is a good organizer, as is seen in chapter 16. He calls the Corinthians to join with him in the special collection of funds for the church in Jerusalem that was experiencing hardship through persecution and famine. This offering would demonstrate the goodwill of the newer predominantly Gentile churches and their solidarity with the predominantly Jewish church in Jerusalem. He was giving practical help and demonstrating the unity of Jews and Gentiles as members of the one body of Jesus Christ. Paul arranged to have churches throughout Macedonia, such as the church at Philippi, Greece, such as the church in Corinth, and the Galatian and Colossian churches in Asia Minor, all participate together in giving aid to the first local church birthed at Pentecost in Jerusalem. We learn in verse 1 that the custom of believers gathering for worship on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, in honor of the resurrection, had become a well-established pattern. Paul saw that his efforts would be most effective if people contributed to this offering proportionately in keeping with their income. In other words, He was asking for equal sacrifice among all church members, which would mean unequal amounts, as their income varied. Paul was insistent on traveling with multiple men of renowned integrity. This would provide a healthy practice of accountability to ensure that the money would be safely delivered. It also would give the believers in Jerusalem an opportunity to meet members of the Gentile churches that had been birthed through the spread of the gospel. Paul's pastoral longing for face-to-face fellowship with the Corinthians is made clear in the final paragraphs of this chapter. He informs them of his travel plans. He acknowledges God's overruling providence when making plans with the proviso, if the Lord permits. He longs to have a meaningful visit and not just a short stop while passing through. He is strategic and prayerful in his planning. He wants to make the most of every opportunity, in his letter to the Colossians and Ephesians, he encourages all Christians to do the same, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15-16, and Colossians chapter 4, verse 5. He is also realistic, yet does not shy away from hardship. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8-9. and 9. Paul has many good things to say about his protege Timothy in his epistles. He pays him this great compliment in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. In the Greek language, it reads literally, He works the works of the Lord. It is a wonderful thing to do the work of the Lord, knowing it is the Lord who is working in you and through you, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul also references Apollos, whom we met in the book of Acts. We see how Christian leaders, while being submitted in their spirits to the headship of Christ and leadership in the body of Christ, in verse 16, were accountable to live as unto the Lord as far as their direction and ministry. Apollos was open to receiving input from the apostle Paul for his missionary movements, but also had to weigh all matters before the Lord and exercise his conscience to do what seemed best at the time. The leaders in the church were not all yes-men to the apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 12 we read, "But concerning Apollos our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity." We see the importance of valuing, recognizing, and receiving every member of the body of Christ and their portion of the expression of his life. Notice Paul's appreciation for the household of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. They have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. In 1 Corinthians 16:18, Once again, We see that the planting of strong churches in Rome, in Romans chapter 16, verse 3, Ephesus, in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, and Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19, was aided by the tent makers Priscilla and Aquila, who made their home a ministry center wherever they lived. Paul closes his letter with an encouragement to watch, be on the alert, and to stand firm in the faith. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the Bible's songbook and prayer book, the book of Psalms, and we will be reading Psalm 40, verses 1 through 10. My help and my deliverer to the choirmaster, a Psalm of David, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. IN SACRIFICE AND OFFERING YOU HAVE NOT DELIGHTED, BUT YOU HAVE GIVEN ME AN OPEN EAR. BURNT OFFERING AND SIN OFFERING YOU HAVE NOT REQUIRED. THEN I SAID, BEHOLD, I HAVE COME IN THE SCROLL OF THE BOOK IT IS WRITTEN OF ME. I DELIGHT TO DO YOUR WILL, O MY GOD. YOUR LAW IS WITHIN MY HEART. I HAVE TOLD THE GLAD NEWS OF DELIVERANCE IN THE GREAT CONGREGATION. BEHOLD, I HAVE NOT RESTRAINED MY LIPS, AS YOU KNOW, O LORD. O LORD. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. In Psalm 40, the psalmist sings of God's faithfulness in the long run. We must learn to wait patiently for the Lord. Deliverance will come. Wait for it. There will soon be a fresh song of deliverance upon our lips. May the testimony of both our patience and God's patience inspire others to put their trust in the Lord. In Psalm 40, verse 3, How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. In verse 4, The psalmist affirms the goodness of God's plan and then the thrust of that plan in the redemptive work of Christ. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired my ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. The writer of Hebrews will relate these verses to Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5-9. through 9. Therefore, it is clearly a messianic psalm, although David wrote it about his own life. Verses 1 through 5 picture his deliverance during his difficult years in exile. Verses 6 through 10 refer to his dedication as the new king. Tomorrow we will read of his prayer for forgiveness and for victory over his enemies during his reign. Now let's move on to the Bible's treasure test of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. We will read Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. To have a good name refers to having demonstrated before others a reputation of good character. The writer is not disparaging wealth, but is indicating that one's testimony of integrity and pleasing the Lord is of greater value than material possessions or wealth. Now let's pray. Lord, you give us new songs as we wait upon you for deliverance in each time of trial. You inspire fresh appreciation of your faithfulness with each answer to prayer. We rejoice in every new discovery of your mercies. We are blessed because our trust is in your trustworthiness. Help us to be true comforters to our friends. Give us wisdom and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit so that we can minister grace to the hearer rather than condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. This wraps up today's portions from the Old and New Testaments, the book of Psalms and Proverbs and I trust that you have much to meditate upon. I pray your heart will be filled with a love for the Lord and a love for others, and I would like to conclude the way that Paul concludes his letter to the Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you and my love be with you all. Again, my name is David McAdam, and if you have any questions or comments or you'd like to be in touch with us, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. If you'd like to know more about our ministries and how you can support the work of New Life Community Church and uh, New Life Fine Arts, you can go to our website. Also at newlife.org, you can subscribe to a daily written copy of the commentary of each day's portion from the One Year Bible. So until next time, Shalom. May the peace of our loving Lord be with you.